Greetings to the brightest audience in the country, and welcome to Theology Thursday. I'm Nicole McBurney. Every weekday, we bring you the news of the day, the culture, and science from a Christian worldview. But today, join me and Pastor Bob Enyart as we explore the source of our Christian worldview, the Bible. Doug and Takako are teaching Nicole Japanese and English. Doug, is she learning both? Her Japanese is better than yours. How old is Nicole? Two. She's two. Does she struggle? <laughs> no, it's natural. God made us. We're wired for language. We found out in South America in a home for deaf children that the administrators of this home were over a hundred kids. They parents have deaf kids and, you know, sadly not, they, they don't, they're not as aware as they should be. And so they let this institution help raise their kids since they're deaf. We can't do it. Well, that's tragic, but that's what they've done. And the administrators of this institution for deaf children find out that even the young children developed sophisticated extensions of sign language on their own. All these kids growing up together and they they communicate like nobody's business. Having been created by God and born ready to communicate in words and ideas, it doesn't matter that they can't hear. They're ready to communicate. And they talk with their hands. Now back to the verse here in Psalm 19. Every culture in the world lives with the stars overhead. And no one is without the general revelation of the creation which God has given to every man. Verse 4, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Their words have gone to the end of the world. What words? It's just light from the stars. But the message that there is a creator, their line has gone out. What does that mean, their line? Why doesn't it just say their light? Well, because the author is explaining that the stars tell a story and their light is like a line of a story. Now, please turn to Romans 10, where we get more of this picture. Romans chapter 10. And while you turn to Romans 10, I'll back up and quote from Moses back in Genesis and then Deuteronomy. When Moses is writing about creation in Genesis 1, He wrote, God said, let there be lights in the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So God said right off the bat, I'm going to make these lights in the heavens and they're going to be for signs. Well, they're for seasons too and they're for days and years for the calendar, but the first thing he says is, therefore, signs. Well, what signs are the stars in the heavens? Well, they tell us a lot about God and even the gospel message. We're not going to get into that aspect of it, but I do want to let you know we have a video called The Planets, the Stars, and the Bible, which is really neat. And E.W. Bullinger wrote a book on the Bible and astronomy called the witness of the stars. And there's so much that God has communicated to mankind through the stars, even specific things. 
But right now, in this study, we're just speaking generally. When much of the ancient world worshipped the heavenly bodies, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 4, he was quoting God, and he wrote, Do not lift your eyes to heaven when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars and feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. So from 3,500 years ago, God said to the Israelites, don't worship the stars. And before that, when he created, he made them for lights, not as gods. So let the lights in the heavens be for lights and for signs, but don't worship them as gods. Now, last week, there was a brilliant full moon which appeared in the sky above Denver. It was mostly a clear night. And it was Saturday night after we put the kids to bed. Cheryl and I sat on our backyard patio. Beautiful evening. And we were looking through our family telescope, a little red bulbous type of telescope, a real good beginner one. And we were looking at the moon and its appearance alone inspires awe. And all the more we know about the moon causes us to be even more amazed at God. When we compare the moon to the sun, the moon, God made it 400 times smaller than the sun. And in that same proportion, 400 times closer than the sun. Light leaves the sun and it takes a light beam over eight minutes to get here from the sun. But then it bounces off the moon and it hits our eyes in less than two seconds. So over eight minutes to get from the sun to the moon and less than two seconds to get from the moon to our eyes. And in that is this perfect ratio which enables the moon to completely cover the sun so we could have a perfect eclipse because the sun is 400 times bigger and exactly 400 times further away. I'm saying exactly the ratio is the same in size and distance. Well, a quarter of a million miles away, the moon is. And if it were much closer, the moon causes the tides. And the tides, if the moon was much closer, they'd be so powerful, they would wipe out land animals because they would cause daily tidal waves. On the other hand, if the moon were a little further away, maybe the light would take, say, one and a half seconds to get us. It was a little further away than it is. Then its gravitational pull on the oceans would be weaker and the tides could stop altogether and the ocean would not have its oxygen and then the plankton would die and then the whole food chain would die and the fish and maybe even all of life on Earth without the plankton in the oceans to produce oxygen. So it was awesome spending time just looking at the moon, this powerful evidence of God's loving care for mankind, which God used to support life on earth. But Cheryl and I, we were talking about the ancients, the men who lived centuries, millennia ago, and what they must have felt and thought about the moon. It has an awesome presence as it 
rises in the dark sky and it crosses the night as though it were looking down on the deeds that men do in the dark, as though it's spying on us, that face in the moon. And millions have done the most despicable things by worshiping this rock, this dead created rock, rather than worshiping the living creator God. So in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, let's get to Paul's point that the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven. Beginning with Romans 10, 13, he wrote, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So this is what at first seems to contradict what Paul said to the Colossians, that the gospel was preached to everyone under heaven. Since he's bemoaning here, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? They haven't even heard of Jesus. But let's continue in Romans 10, verse 15. And how shall they, the preachers, how shall they preach unless they are sent? That is, unless they are funded. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now, if we were a weird church, well, I guess we are a weird church, but if we were a tad bit weirder, we could take pictures of people's feet and put them in the church directory and say, look at these beautiful feet we have here at Denver Bible Church. Because we share the gospel with the world as best we can. And many people have come to the Lord, even from our small church, all the people we've reached. Verse 16, But they, the unbelievers, have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? That is, men do reject the gospel. And verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by the word. And there's that word again, the word of God. And this is where Paul quotes Psalm 19, verse 4, in Romans 10, verse 18. But I say, have they, the unbelievers, I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. That is, speaking of the stars in the heavens, which are for signs, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Their sound, their words, that is, their message. What is the message of the sun, moon, planets, and stars? Well, their message is that of creation, that there must be a creator who made us. And God holds people accountable not for what they have never heard, but for what they have heard, and then reject. This verse 18, it's so neat. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, they have too heard. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So all the world has the general revelation of creation, which clearly shows, as Paul teaches in Romans chapter 1, the creation clearly shows that 
there is the evidence for the existence of the eternal, powerful, personal creator. That's what the general revelation shows everyone in the world. So now let's go back to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, verse 23. Colossians 1, 23 ends, the end of the verse, speaking of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, that is, by the stars, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul became a minister of the gospel which God proclaimed to Abraham in Genesis 15, the gospel of grace, where you're saved by faith alone. Now, I just don't want to pass this up. Let's turn back to Genesis 15. It's too exciting not to note. Now, some Christians who believe like we do, they're dispensationalists. In fact, they're even mid-acts dispensationalists where they believe that the body of Christ started when God cast away Israel and grafted in the Gentiles in the body of Christ when the Apostle Paul got saved on the road to Damascus. That's called mid-acts dispensationalists. And Christians who believe like us, they get confused over this verse, some of them, because they stress so much that God gave the gospel of grace to Paul, which he did. And so they think, well, how could the stars have preached the gospel to all the creatures of the world if it wasn't even known until Paul? Because they quote verses where Paul says the gospel had been kept a secret, a mystery. It was an unsearchable mystery. So they wonder, how could the gospel have been preached to every creature when it was first preached by Paul? What's with that? But Paul himself writes in Romans 4 that God had given to Abraham the gospel of grace. Before God told Abraham to get circumcised, before he gave him the covenant of circumcision, he had first given him the gospel of grace where Abraham was saved by faith alone. In Genesis 15, God gave Abraham the gospel of grace. Two chapters later, maybe five years later or so, in Genesis 17, God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. So let's look at these two verses in Genesis 15, 5 and 6, and we'll see that God connected this gospel of grace with the innumerable stars in the heavens. Verse, Genesis 15, verse 5, Then God brought Abram outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And God said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and God accounted it to him for righteousness. That's the gospel right there. That's the entire gospel of grace. If you believe what God has revealed to you, then you are righteous. If you believe God, whatever it is he told you, if God said, I want you to take your son and offer him up on the mountain, you believe God, that's believing God. If God said, Abraham, you're going to have a lot of kids, that's believing God. If God says to us, you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. If he says that to us and we believe, we believe. And he saves us. 
because we are trusting in him. Whatever it is he happened to tell us. Adam and Eve, God said, okay, now you have to offer a sacrifice. If they offered the sacrifice, they were believing God. But here with Abraham, what is so neat and is different from the covenant of circumcision in the Mosaic law, that all he had to do was believe and that was it. When heathens look to the stars, they see the evidence for the eternal, living, personal, powerful creator. And if they trust not in their pagan idols, nor in themselves, but if the heathen cry out to the true and living God, then they will be saved. We read that in Romans 1 and Romans 2, especially Romans 2. And I'm not saying that such a heathen gets saved by the gospel of grace. If he looks at the stars and he says, you know, the pagan gods of my fathers, they're false. There must be a true God and I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to worship him. I'm not saying that that person enters into the gospel of grace. No, Romans 2 shows us that God deals with him as though he were under the law, just like he was a saved Jew in Israel's covenant in their kingdom. But I get excited to see that God linked his grace with the stars of heaven, showing us today, 4,000 years later, of how merciful and gracious he has been all along. Now, back to Colossians 1, verse 24, which this verse gets Christians to think hard about what Paul is saying here. Paul writes, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. That much seems clear. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And here's what confuses many of us at first. I rejoice in my sufferings for you, Paul says, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Huh? What does that mean? The sufferings of Christ were complete and sufficient to provide for our eternal salvation. How can anything be lacking in the afflictions of Christ? And how could Paul or any mere human fill up what was lacking in Christ's sacrifice? That sounds almost blasphemous until we think carefully about his words. Consider Isaiah 63 verse 9, which says this, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. You know, Christ suffers when we suffer. Remember that the Holy Spirit grieves when we sin. God is in a real relationship with us. When my children are in pain, I suffer. Christ is afflicted in our affliction. When we suffer, he suffers. And this is not suffering for salvation to pay for our sins, but suffering, this is the suffering that comes from staying here in the sinful world in order to reach more people with the gospel. There is a need for the body of Christ to suffer on earth today, to suffer more affliction. And that affliction goes beyond what Christ suffered. He suffered to pay for our sins. Now we suffer staying here on this earth 
so that we can share that message with more people. Right until today, this very week, including whatever hardship or mocking or persecution that you might suffer because of being a Christian on behalf of Jesus Christ. Consider what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, he wrote, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And Christ, as the head, of course, suffers when we suffer. So we read in Psalm 56, this is such a neat verse, Psalm 56, verse 8, about God, You number my wanderings. You, O Lord, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? God follows the path of your life with great interest. And God puts your tears into his bottle. Wow, he loves us. He really does. After all, look what he's done for us. He puts our tears into his bottle. That is, our sufferings are not insignificant to him. Just as we grieve for our own children, our own loved ones and friends when they hurt, so too God grieves with us. I remember being in a Jefferson County courtroom Everyone in attendance, all of a sudden, was gone. And I was the only one left in the room. Cheryl was there, the judge, the lawyers. And it was after I had been convicted for spanking my stepson, five swats on the backside. So I was convicted of child abuse. And then we went to court because, of course, then that conviction could be used to take away our kids. And so we're in the courtroom, and it's obvious this feminist judge, it's obvious what she's going to do. And so rather than take time with the regular court proceeding, she said, well, why don't the parties come back into my chambers and we'll just talk it through and finalize it real quick and easy. And so everybody left and I was the only one left in the courtroom. And I remember being on my knees and praying and asking God for mercy to help Cheryl and me, to get through that difficult time. You know, for a mom, there's not much more devastating than losing custody of your children. That's utterly devastating. But it is overwhelmingly comforting to know that God puts our tears into his bottle and that he will not forget to bring justice to those who deserve justice. And he will not forget to honor our love and obedience to him. Again, verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, that's the body of Christ, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So where it says that Paul received the stewardship from God, that word stewardship in the Greek is the word we usually say dispensation. The Greek word is oikonomia. That's our English word economy, like Reaganomics. What was Reaganomics? Well, Reaganomics was if you lower taxes, you'll increase the economy 
and the government will get more revenues. And he was right. You lower taxes significantly, and the revenue to the federal government just went through the roof. So the economy, that's the House rules. Those were Reagan's House rules for the economy. Lower taxes, it'll increase revenues to the government. He was right. Unfortunately, he increased spending way faster than the revenues, but we'll ignore that part for now. But the word economy comes from the Greek word for dispensation. The Greek word is oikonomia, oikonomia, and it means the house rules. Oikonomia comes from two Greek words, oikos, which means house, and namas, which means rules or laws, like astronomy, the anomy part. So oikonomia is the house rules. And the house of Israel, you've heard of that phrase, right? The house of Israel, that's Israel's kingdom, and the body of Christ is called the house of faith, the household of faith. And so the house of Israel, they had their house rules, which was the covenant of circumcision and the Mosaic law, all these laws of the flesh. In the household of faith, we have our house rule, which is just faith alone, grace, saved by faith alone, no works, no law. Paul became a minister of the gospel according to the dispensation from God, which was given to him for us. That's exactly what we read in Ephesians chapter 3, that God gave this dispensation of grace to Paul for us Gentiles in the body of Christ. Verse 25, the gospel of which I became a minister according to the stewardship or the dispensation from God, which was given to me, to Paul, for you to fulfill the word of God, to fill up the word of God. God had a plan that he would establish the body of Christ, which would not be based on law like Israel, but on faith alone through grace. That was God's plan. And so God completed that plan when he cut off Israel, he grafted in the body of Christ and he gave Paul the job of being the apostle to the Gentiles and revealing the gospel of grace to us. Jesus gave that message to Paul for us. So verse 26, the mystery, that's what Paul calls the gospel. It was the mystery. Nobody had ever heard of it before as clearly as God had revealed it to Paul. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. God revealed the dispensation of grace first to Paul on the road to Damascus. And then in a vision, he said, hey, Peter, I want you to know what I'm doing. I'm allowing the Gentiles to be saved without being circumcised. And Peter's, uh, God, I'm sorry, you can't do that. And it took a few times and it got through Peter's circumcised, you know, mindset. And he finally got the point. Verse 27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the covenant of circumcision was God's riches among the Jews. The gospel of grace is God's riches among the Gentiles and those Jews who believe in that message today. 
we have in our Bible study tonight. One Jewish man who put his faith in Jesus Christ and now is part of the body of Christ, even though he's Jewish. Today, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile. That's what the Apostle Paul writes. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. That's Paul's goal, to get the gospel of grace out to as many people as he can, and that's our goal. It's God's will that we commit our lives to that, that we share the truth of the gospel of grace with those that we can influence, especially our children and loved ones and our neighbors and everyone that we can reach.